0: All right, good morning. Uh, I have a quick question. How did we get blessed with such an awesome worship team? (laughs) Awesome stuff. All right, well, good morning. Uh, My name is Patrick. I am the host for our pastors on the hot seat this morning. So as was uh, shared earlier, this is an annual thing that we do. Um, And we uh, have questions submitted by our congregation for our pastors to answer. And I just want to reiterate uh, something that Denise talked about, is that for many of us, we've been in experiences in our past where we've been discouraged or made to even feel guilty about asking questions or having doubts or wondering or thinking critically about what the Bible says and what it means for us. And so I just want to say that I really appreciate um, our pastors being vulnerable and being honest and truthful um, and just being up here and being willing to answer those questions um, and so I, I do want to reiterate, too, that if you haven't had a chance yet to uh, submit a question, that you would do that um, by texting it in, and we'll do our best to get it in uh, this morning. So, first question this morning is for you to introduce yourselves, and then what I'm going to tag on to that is introduce yourselves, and then s- a crazy, funny story from a Sunday morning.
1: Um, okay, my name is Dave Corlew. i senior pastor. Uh, uh, my responsibilities include being primary teacher on Sunday mornings, uh, providing leadership for our staff and elders, overseeing uh, a few other ministries. Uh, that's how I spend the majority of my time. And what was that crazy thing on Sunday morning? A,
0: a crazy, funny experience that you've had on a Sunday morning.
1: Um... I don't know. I, I, I'm drawing a blank. I know. What? Dave,
2: I have one for both of us. I thought of this in between <laughs> services. This is different than my answer from nine.
1: Okay. But
2: do you remember your first Sunday back from sabbatical, this most recent sabbatical? So we have a little sermon timer up on the back screen that tells us how long we've been talking. But his first Sunday back, it stopped working, or it didn't start when it was supposed to. And at that time, I, now I know how to like add time to it, and it wouldn't be a big deal. But I didn't know what to do. The only thing I could think of was to come down to the front row, uh, and and with a, like a piece of paper with big numbers, and, and like you know, 20, 21, and just like flip through it. And it was so obvious that I think everyone in the congregation saw me do this, except for Dave. <laughs> Dave missed it. You he know,
1: just saw the timer, which I think was like I was, running. I was in the Bible zone. Yes, you exactly. Know what I'm saying?
2: And poor Dave thought he'd been preaching for like 40 minutes when it had only been 25, and it was just a funny little uh, mess. But that was one I have for both of us.
1: Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that.
0: Should Uh, I introduce?
2: Yeah, why don't you introduce myself now? So I'm Mike. I'm the uh, Connections Pastor here. I uh, oversee our student ministry, junior high and high school, uh, as well as our tech. So kind of all the tech stuff happening on a Sunday morning, as well as um, to make sure our online stream
3: is running smoothly. Now I wish I would have gone first, because my story for Sunday is kind of uh, embarrassing. But uh, anyway, but, uh, uh, so Chris Majeski, I'm a family pastor, um, so I oversee, directly oversee our children's ministry, oversee a few staff positions, and our guest services team, uh, and then preach once a month, uh, uh, several, a few other things, but uh, wear a lot of hats, really enjoy the opportunity to work with a lot of different groups. Uh, embarrassing Sunday, I'll, I'll go embarrassing, it was crazy and embarrassing, it was my first Sunday preaching. Uh, we were still meeting up in the, small, in the chapel upstairs, uh, so this was 2006, so a long time ago. Uh, uh, but, uh, but anyway, but uh, I uh, went to the bathroom, and I overflowed the toilet, and uh, we were about 10 minutes out from the service, and I now had to figure out how to clean that up without getting myself messy and get on stage in time without being sweaty and all that kind of stuff, and so uh, that, was, that was my uh, crazy Sunday morning story.
1: <laughs> I always wondered why you were so sweaty that day. Now. now. <laughs> now it makes sense that wasn't
3: sweat dave
0: <laughs> oh my oh.
1: hey let's move on <laughs> next question
0: <laughs> wow this took a turn all right uh <laughs> let's bring it back bring it back all right so uh first i guess official question is um how should i interact with a family member who wants nothing to do with god or christianity are prayer generosity and talking about stor- sports or the weather my only options yeah, it's a good it's a good
2: question. Um, you know, I think yeah, if someone if you have a family member who it, it's a hard no they've they put that boundary they've expressed that desire uh, set that boundary up. I think you respect that. Um, I don't think it does any good to keep violating it. I think you're just going to lead to more frustration. But I don't think that means then all of your conversations need to be surface level. You know, I think back to bless and even most of a bless right isn't talking about uh, God or faith uh, or the Bible, but it's just. Building a relationship with people, getting to know them, and 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 having authentic uh, and deep relationships, and so yeah, I think you um, you go that route. You, you you don't try to necessarily talk about faith or, or uh, what God's been been doing in your life lately, but you do look for ways to still grow that that relationship, to to connect on a, on a meaningful way, and and see if an opportunity comes up someday.
1: It's hard when someone you really love, like a family member, is closed off to the gospel and they've made it clear they don't want to talk about it. I would agree with you, Mike, that I think it's counterproductive to keep bringing it up after they've told you they don't want to talk about it. Um, But I think it's easy for us to overestimate how important we are in that person coming to Christ. And the truth is God can use someone besides you. So if they've told you, don't bring it up, don't want to talk about it, the power of prayer and that God can sovereignly bring other Christians across their path where they work, where they live, where they go to school. And so you don't have to be the instrument God uses to reach them for Christ. And that's why employing prayer for that person um, is a very powerful thing. And it's not a last resort. It's the first and best thing you could do in their eventually coming to faith in Christ.
3: I agree with everything that's said, and the thing I would add is I hear from a question a person who really loves this person and wants what's best for them, and also wants to honor God in the way that they're they're being faithful about sharing their faith. And so I would say this: you love that person, find a new way to love them. Find a way to be about what what they're about, and talk with them about. Just love them that way. You're trying to love them through this one way. They're saying they've set up a boundary that no, just love that person where they're at, how how they want to you know the things they want to talk about, engage with them in deep conversations. And that's witness enough. I would let you know God, God God, looks at that as a faithful witness of the example of Jesus. So I would say that. Thank you.
0: Um, what are the hardest parts of your jobs? Or what is the hardest part of your job?
3: We didn't have that one before. I don't think no. we've ever had yeah. this one yeah. before. So I'm going to answer it two different ways. Um, so, uh, so the hardest, as in most skill, most difficult, would be crafting a sermon. That takes the most amount of effort, most amount of time. I love it, uh, but it does give. It, it takes the most effort. Uh, the most, the most challenging part of my job is just coordinating all of the teams and people. And I mean, there's like we've added it up. There's. Fifty roles that have to be filled on a Sunday morning and and each of us are responsible for a lot of those it's just a lot, a lot to keep, a lot of balls to juggle and then something goes wrong and it affects something else so that's the the, the most challenging part of my job I would say, is just managing all the different systems and teams.
2: Yeah, mine was going to be finding the volunteers and teams on a Sunday morning and and that's twofold because I don't want that to be, I don't want to guilt trip uh, anyone, Uh, that's not what I'm trying to say but But even like our tech team from before the pandemic to after the pandemic, because of the live stream, we went from needing like two tech people to about seven, ideally. Uh, And so it's just grown a lot. Our needs are different now than they were before. But then just personally, it's a struggle for me because I I feel bad. I don't like asking for help. And I feel bad uh, because it it means waking up super early on a Sunday morning. And and so I feel guilty about it. And, um, yeah, it's probably my least favorite part of the job.
1: Yeah. One of the the things, I I love my job, and there's some challenging aspects to it, like in any job, right? Any job has good parts and bad parts, things that we enjoy and things we don't enjoy quite as much. And, And that's certainly true with my responsibilities. But something that stresses me out in my job, and this is really more about me and my neuroses, right, than anything else, is I interact with a lot of people in any given week or month by text, Email in person phone calls, and people confide in me and share with me things that are really really important and I stress out over not remembering you know what I mean where someone tells me something that 's near and dear to their heart that that 's just a real crisis in their life, and you know the next time I see them, I forget to bring it up or i don 't remember the details was that their grandma or grandpa that died you know was you know what I mean that kind of thing, and I, I want to remember but There's so many people that I I, I can't all the time, and and I pray people give me grace in that, you know, and they're not upset, Um, and they're willing to repeat themselves and tell me something they've already told me before. That's helpful, by the way, okay? Never underestimate repeating yourself to me, all right? It's very helpful.
0: How should a Christian respond to same-sex relationships or marriages a recent example is two women got married and my other coworkers were thrilled and some were invited to the wedding. So basically, how are we to go about loving people and yet not compromising our beliefs?
3: Uh, yeah, I'll jump in. Um, so I, I, I hear what I, I, I believe is, is uh, an assumption. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I hope I'm not making an assumption, but uh, we as a church uh, would hold that, that uh, same-sex Marriage or, or same-sex attraction is 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 not God-honoring. Uh, that God uh, made men and women for marriage, uh, and and so we have that that belief biblically and practically. We love all people. We welcome all people, and we would uh, we want all people to, uh, to 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 know Jesus. And so, um, so so uh, want to make that perfectly clear right out of the gate. Our first call is to love all people, and that's what we take seriously as a church. And yet we see this 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 in Scripture. So what I would say is that's what we have to do. Is love those people. I love that it's a wedding because we see Jesus at a wedding turning water into wine. And we've got a lot of Christians who say, hey, it's wrong to drink, but yet Jesus turned water into wine. We see Jesus over and over again eating in people's homes. Uh, it, it, uh, prostitutes, spending time with prostitutes and tax collectors who were despised. Uh, one description in Scripture calls he's spending time with notorious sinners. Like, these were the bad people in his day, right? And so, so here, here we have Jesus spending time with them. And so what I want what I, to what I, what I take away from that is, I don't think That presence communicates, being present with people. I don't think it communicates necessarily acceptance and agreement. I think what it communicates is care and love. And that's what we see with Jesus. He wasn't communicating that he accepted and approved of the lifestyle of the prostitute. He was communicating love and care by being present with her. And so uh, that's what we can do. Uh, And so I've wrestled through this quite a bit in my life. I'm still wrestling through it, but I would say be present. Love and care for them. Be happy for them celebrate them i think they know where you stand on it if you're a christian they probably have assumptions already
2: yeah i would just throw in you know i don't think anyone's mind has ever been changed i don't think anyone's been brought into the kingdom of god by being ignored or given the cold shoulder or yelled at uh, or just having kind of an, an angry demeanor towards them that i, I just don't think uh, it serves any good to um, to not congratulate them and be happy for them even if you disagree with the decision that they're, they're making.
0: Um, given the significant tension in national politics for the last six to seven years, has it been difficult as church leaders?
1: I would say that it hasn't been nearly as difficult for our church as it has been for many churches. The political climate has just been insanely divisive in recent years, and I know of churches, I know specifically of pastor friends, their congregations have been torn in two. It's been horrible. Um, We haven't experienced that to any degree at all, hardly. And I think one of the reasons why is because we're intentional about um, leaving that behind when we come to church. And we believe that, um, I think our politics should be informed by our faith. But the thing we want to emphasize is majoring on the majors and that our ultimate allegiance isn't to an elephant. It's not to a donkey. It's to a lamb. It's to Jesus Christ. And so um, that's where we have our focus, right? And that's our allegiance, not to a tribe, not to a political party. Um, but, yeah, there's there's times where it's difficult. Uh, in the last couple of years, I, I've had a couple of people demand uh, – for me to tell them how I voted in the presidential election and they said if I didn't tell them they'd leave and guess what they left because it's none of their business how I voted Uh, but uh, I I, I think we positioned ourselves and God's grace was over our congregation Uh, but yeah um,
3: yeah you know uh, a while ago I was was talking to a local politician and she was trying to encourage us to be a part of her campaign, and, and, and she said, she said, oh, I understand uh, it's risky to stick out your neck. You wouldn't, I understand why your church wouldn't want to ex- express Dave's, what Dave just said there about our, our stance. would said, I, wouldn't, I understand it'd be risky to stick out your neck, and I was like, oh, you've got it all wrong. It's not about it being risky to stick out our, our neck. It's about us loving and caring for the people that are here, because I guarantee you we don't have political unity in this room right now. Uh, and, and the people who aren't here who want to come in. We don't want to be a have politics be something that we are putting forward as a distraction because we're about Jesus. And, and you can love Jesus and be a Democrat. And you can love Jesus and be, be a Republican. And, and that's that's what our goal is to How help. How about libertarians? Yeah, yeah that's who I guess. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, uh, uh, so anyway, you can love Jesus need, and be I don't even,
1: you're at. I don't I don't even know, know what a libertarian is. I, is
3: I, I, I'm not sure I do either, yeah. but, uh, but the point of making is... We're all about leading people to experience new life in Jesus, and we don't want politics to get in the way of that, and so uh, so that's what it's about. It's not not out of fear. It's out of of our love and care for our congregation. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and I'll just, I agree with everything that's been said. I'll just throw in my two cents that what I've always appreciated about ACC, even uh, before I worked here, uh, because we we had just attended here for about six years before I came on staff, is how, I think ACC really believes that there is not one political party uh, that best represents... Christianity, uh, that Christians can vote for either a party and and make and be justified in that, that both parties are broken, uh, both parties um, are, are incomplete, and, and so a Christian can vote for a, dem, a Democrat faithfully, and they can vote for a Republican faithfully. And we, and we want our church to be a church where that is the case, that we have both uh, voters from both parties, you know, worshiping together. And then I also want to say, though, that uh, that whole kind of sticking your neck out you know, well, I really appreciate it, and I can say this because this was all before I came on staff. Is that yeah, ACC is pretty apolitical, right? But there have been certain cultural flashpoints um, where, where we do t- where we did take a stance, and, and I think back to you know Charlottesville. And I think back to um, you know the uh, racial justice uh, in May of 2020, and, and even January 6, where where we did you know, come down and make a stand, because while we want to stay out of politics, we still want to stand for truth and stand for justice, and we recognize that there are certain issues that transcend the the normal, the typical political squabble, um, but they go way above that, and so I've always really appreciated that um, when, when we attended here.
0: Please explain the covenant ritual between God and Abram in Genesis 15. Why did God do this?
3: Yeah, so I'll jump in on that. That's a topic I enjoy. Uh, so so uh, given a little background, uh, uh, Abraham, Abram, who becomes Abraham, and God is making a covenant with him that, that, they, that uh, he will be a father of a great nation, and they will be God's people, and, and God's going to be with them, and, and give them this land of, of, of promise, that kind, all this stuff. Uh, so this, this covenant is a promise. And the tradition in a covenant, the, the the ritual that would happen is an animal would be cut in half and placed on on, two, on, on you know two different places, and and the parties would pass between as as a, a symbol of that of that that covenant that promise. And the, the covenant could be uh, conditional, uh, uh, bilateral, and conditional, meaning there's two parties. That's a marriage is a is a is a, is a covenant between two parties, uh, and, and it's 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 uh, conditional in that aspect. Um, and then. Uh, there is a, 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 the covenant could be unconditional or unilateral, and that's what we see in Genesis 15, is God making just himself, he is unconditional, making this promise to Abram and and to his people. And so, as God passes through the animals, in between the animals, he's saying this is a serious, the parties are united as they're kind of in between the animal, right? Uh, But he's also communicating, if I break this promise, may what happened to these animals happen to there's the seriousness of this vow that's happening here. Uh, so why did God do that? Uh, well, God did it for us. Um, he didn't make a conditional contract because he knew we would break that. Abram was feeble and he's going to break it. And, and we often forget. And so God made this promise based only on himself for our benefit. He didn't need to make the promise to keep himself to it. He would do that. He's unchanging. He had made up his mind. He did it for us. And so I look at it as an encouragement that God is with us and he's for us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. That's how I would explain that.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. What advice uh, do you have for someone that feels like their prayers are not being answered? Um, how can they manage their feelings of frustration or discouragement, anger, or grief?
1: There's a lot of different ways. Lot, this is a case-by-case basis, right? And a lot of different diagnostic questions you would need to ask someone who's struggling with unanswered prayer. Um, I'm sure things come to mind for each of us. Here's the one thing I would say that a lot of people forget. No is a legitimate answer to prayer. And that's always an option for God, that you ask God for something and he says no. Any parent knows you don't say yes to your child on every request, right? But that there are some things, many things that your child asks for that you're like, no, nah, don't think so, right? And so um, even though it's hard to accept and sometimes it's hard to understand because they're like, why would he say no? How could this not be what I need? How could this not be right? A lot of times it's a misnomer to say unanswered prayer. God did answer. He said no. And so that's a perspective to think about when you're struggling with this.
3: I would also say uh, lean into the Psalms. Uh, there's plenty of op- options there where David is crying out before God. He feels like his prayers aren't answered or he's just in pain. And so allow the Psalms to be a guide for you and a balm for your soul as you connect with and resonate with David as he cried out um, uh, or, or the other Psalm writers. But um, but God cares about that. He, if he said no, he still cares about the pain that you're in in that and, and you, he can meet you in
2: that. You know, take our, I, you know, whether, I don't know what this says about me and my prayer life, but I, I've never been one that can't really think of a specific time where i was really clear what god was saying to me what he was speaking to me i have friends uh, who are christians and they they have they've had those experiences where it was so clear clear as day to them what god wanted for them what direction they were supposed to go what job they were supposed to take and you know i get little feelings and, and all of that um but i've just i've never had that and so uh, if if part of this question and i have no idea it just comes from like you're not feeling that, you know, strong push or that strong voice from God, you're just feeling like, oh, maybe I'm getting little nudges, but I'm not sure. Like, that's okay. I think that sometimes that's how the Holy Spirit works as well. That there are a lot of times where we have two paths before us, and, um, you know, God says, you can pick either one. I'll be with you either way. Uh, and so uh, take heart that, that you're not alone if, if you feel like you're just not getting that, those answers sure. you're, you're hoping to get.
1: And Scripture has a lot to say about it to where there are things where it's definitely your fault. Is that, is that too blunt? Is that too rude? But there are things where, yeah, the problem is you. If there, if your life is full of compromise and sin, that sin cuts off the communication line between you and God. That's why confession is so important and repentance is so important. Now, it doesn't mean you need to live a perfect life to have answered prayer. But if your life is just full of compromise and sin and you go to pray, that's tremendously hypocritical. And And that unconfessed sin... God's word teaches clearly unconfessed sin will break off the communication lines between us and God. Husbands, think of this. There's a specific scripture that says, if you treat your wife harshly, your prayers will go unanswered. That to God, it's a big deal, husband, that you treat your wife with respect. And if you're not, your prayers aren't going to get answered. And there's a few other examples from Scripture. So that's why anytime you're dealing with unanswered prayer, it's a time to really do an evaluation of where you're at spiritually, you know? Is it
0: okay to have doubts even after being saved?
2: Yes.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, yeah, and then once again, speaking from personal experience, I... You know, my faith life is one of, of doubts. Uh, I really became a believer when I was in high school, and I was really on fire for several years, and, you know, going into kind of early adulthood, I, I started to have doubts, and and that, that still happens to me, even to this day as a pastor. You know, I, I find myself at times in this very room during worship, and I see everyone having this amazing experience, and the thought just comes into my mind, ah, What if, what if we have this wrong? Like, what if there's nothing out there? What if we are just sing to nothing. Um, and, and, I, and I've worked through that, and what I have come to the point with my doubts, you know, one, I was given really good advice uh, to always doubt your doubts, right? Like, it's okay to doubt your faith, but make sure you're, you're doubting your doubts as well. Put them to the test just as much as you're putting your faith to the test. Uh, but then there's also, a, I can't remember the name now, but there's the theologian that once said, you know, doubts uh, are the ants in the pants of a Christian, it's what makes you move. It, it keeps your faith active. It keeps it growing.
1: That—that that was me, Dave. Oh, that was you. Minute. Okay. Yeah. It
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That laughs>
3: sounds like Dave, yeah, actually. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: and and I, I appreciated that too because I think there is something you know. Doubting shows you care, right? It shows that you're passionate about your faith. It shows that you're thinking through it. It's not passive. It's not just off to the side. That it's actively in front of you. And and so, yeah. Don't don't shy away from your doubts, and I would say engage it and and look for. Christians who are maybe more mature or more advanced and, and, and talk to them about what, uh,
0: how they've gotten through their doubts. Is there ever an acceptable situation that would validate a Christian seeking a divorce?
1: Uh, short answer is yes. Um, <clears throat> let me preface my answer by saying... <clears throat> The covenant relationship a man and a woman enter into in marriage is to be entered into it with the idea that it's permanent, right? And I I think there's probably very few couples that get married thinking, ah, we'll be divorced in a few years, but hey, at least the next couple of years will be fun, right? Everybody enters in the marriage thinking it's a lifelong thing. Um, and, and I think that's essential that as believers, we, we, that's how serious we approach the marriage commitment that there's no getting out. There's no escape hatch, right? And, and many divorces happen because people don't work through their problems. You know, They don't work through their communication issues and stuff like that. Um, but, but, but scripture makes clear there, there's a couple of things for sure that are grounds for biblical divorce, including uh, uh, adultery, um, unfaithfulness within the marriage. Now, it doesn't mean you have to divorce that person if you can forgive and work through it. More power to you. But if it necessitates you walking away, God frees you from that because that's a, a breaking of the marriage covenant. Um, also, if your believer, if if your spouse deserts you, if they just bolt, if they just take off, um, you're also not under obligation. And, and I, I think there can be a few other examples where you're released
2: yeah I would just throw in abuse as as one of those examples too that if you are are being abused in your marriage I think that is uh, a reason for divorce you are not called to stay in an abusive marriage
3: yeah I would yeah agree with that 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 feels like marital unfaithfulness uh the commitment was to love and honor and cherish right and that's not being the case there there's abuse
0: um so we have a male elder board we have male pastors why do we practice male leadership in our church
3: Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, that's pretty really funny. Yeah. Um, actually, you're an elder, Patrick. You want to take this one? Uh, no. So, uh, so uh, in it, it, all the things that we do here, we, we, we look at Scripture to inform what we do. And what we see in Scripture is the, the, the description of an elder is, is that, it's, that it's a man. Uh, it's a husband of one wife. I don't know how else we interpret those passages. We have looked at that. We've considered that, and what we see the the description that is set out for the New Testament church is that elders uh, and, and are to be are to be uh, uh, God honoring uh, mature men, uh, and that that's what God lays out. <laughs> now, I think it looks when we when we when we do that, there's an immediate thought of well, then we're saying women are lesser, and I don't believe that's the case. I think that God uh, designed us different and unique, and beautifully we could together reflect God holistically, right? And so we, as as practicing male eldership, we look to women and our decisions are informed. It's never just decided just with a closed door, behind We are always considering what is best for all in our church. We bring in perspective of women often, and yet who's in charge with the, the, the leadership of the church? What we see throughout Scripture is is men um, and so uh, right. that's that's my that's my quick stab at that
1: and it was a great it was a great it was a great response chris yeah and, and and the emphasis it's simply what we believe the bible teaches it has nothing to do with inferiority superiority or or anything else, and it, it bothers me because occasionally someone will. And by the way, the view we take is an increasingly minority view in our culture. I don't know if you've noticed; it's increasingly minority, and so we're sticking out more and more like a sore thumb. We're going counterculture more and more, and we're receiving more and more criticism for taking that uh, stance. We take that stance humbly, and 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 I, I want to emphasize. It, because I've heard people say, well, that's so sexist. Uh, you know, that's so, uh, you know, um, against women. And it's not. It, it, it's, it's nothing about that. It's about simply if we open God's word and take it at face value, the simplest interpretation is where we've stood. Now, there's good people in good churches that have taken another stance and disagree with us. We, you got to land somewhere, right? You've got to land somewhere, and that's where we land by the grace of God. And, um,
3: yeah, and we have women in leadership positions, and we have women speaking, uh, you know, leading worship and speaking often, you know, in certain ways. There, it, it, we honor women, and we believe women can have the gift of leadership. We're just saying this is what we see Scripture design, uh, is designed for the church, Right that's the church. Not all the world. That's what we see it designed for the church, how the church is to be led.
1: Right. And we believe women have the gifts of leadership. And we have many women who function as really strong leaders throughout our church in all different kinds of uh, uh, ministries. But there's one small section that's that's left for men.
0: Is there any biblical support for the common thought that deceased loved ones are able to watch the lives of those they left behind while in heaven? And if they can, wouldn't it be upsetting to see loved ones that are on a path that won't result in them being saved?
3: Um, yeah, you take this one this time.
0: Yeah, uh,
2: you know, the short answer is no. There's no biblical evidence, really. Um, you know, there's there's a lot about heaven. We just don't know what it's going to be like. We, we can have some thoughts, some guesses, some educated guesses, but we don't really know. You know, my general thought on this is, Probably not, or at least I don't think they're going to be, uh, I think they've got something better in front of them, uh, you know, that uh, I think we underestimate sometimes how incredible it will be to be in the very presence of God. Scripture says better is one day uh, in the courts of, of the Lord than a thousand anywhere else. And, and so on the one hand, yeah, I would. short answer is yeah, probably not. I don't, I don't think they're, they can, or at least they're not going to be too concerned about looking back down on the earth. The other thing I would just add to this is I think we need to be careful about How much of our thinking, our thoughts about our beliefs about heaven have been influenced not by scripture, but by just kind of folklore and culture over centuries. Uh, There's a, uh, you know, one common example I see quite a bit is if a loved one passes away and someone says, oh, uh, you know, heaven gained another angel today. And no, no, it didn't. Like humans and and angels are are completely different. We don't turn into angels when we we pass away. And so just be cautious of that, uh, that There's a lot of views about heaven that that are not founded uh, in the Bible. Thank you.
0: All right. Can we give them a round of applause, please? Before we close, I just want to um, stress that today is not the only day that you can ask questions. Today is not the only day that you can have wonders, that you can have doubts, that you can want to explore more and dig into that. And so I would encourage you that if you have um, questions that are unanswered, there's a, a long list of questions that we weren't able to get to in two services, um, that I would encourage you to, to reach out to a staff member, to an elder, um, to, do, to pray about it, to, to do your own research and reading. Um, that's the beautiful part about this relationship that we have with with God, is that the veil was torn, <laughs> right? Um, and what that represents is that we're intended to have a personal relationship with Christ. Yes. And so um, it's not just looking to the elders or to the, um, to the pastors to answer life for you. Um, that is an expectation that we're engaging that together. Um, and we want to be a part of that uh, with you as a church. So... Um, Thank you again for your time
1: this morning, guys. Yep. Thank you, Patrick, the ultimate moderator. Nice job, Patrick. All right, it's been wonderful being together. Please stand now and receive the benediction. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Serve him.